Welcome to CEO Interviews, a production of Gorecom, in which we take the time to speak with small cap executives about what's going on at their companies. With us today, we're happy to have her for the first time ever, Joanne Fries. She's president and CEO of Condente Copper, trades on the TSX under the stock symbol DNT. For those of you who are new to the story, I'm going to start you off with a banger here. When Goldman Sachs says your copper deposit is one of the top 80 projects to be developed worldwide, you just got to listen because I don't think third-party validation gets any better than that. Candente owns the Cañariaco Norte. That's a copper deposit in Peru. They own 100% of that. 7.5 billion pounds. Think about that. Measured and indicated can be mined for 22 years once in production. And it's also one of the lowest quartile production costs for project to be weighed, for project weighed to be developed. And who else believes in the project? How about Fortescue, one of the largest global iron ore producers in the world who recently increased their strategic ownership of the company right up to 19.9%. Here to talk about that and the project is Joanne. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Uh, we're glad to have you because Joanne, you know, with tech and cannabis and all these things kind of dominating over the last three years, resource companies, great resource companies have almost kind of been pushed to the side. You've got something fantastic. Before we go into Canyariaco, first I want to ask you, how does it feel as you know a small cap company still essentially to have two of the world's biggest names in their field, Goldman Sachs and Fortescue, recognize you for what you guys have? Well, it really um, builds the confidence and it's unfortunate that the stock market hasn't figured it out yet, but that's okay. At least we know we've got a great asset and um, we're pushing it the right way. Now, based on both of those, because the big thing at Agoracom, a very big thing at Agoracom, and everyone who watches and listens know this, is third-party validation. It's not enough for a small cap company to be here and say, we have something great. I mean, and we believe them when they say that, but it's so important. Uh, to have third-party validation. So you don't need to pitch, you know, uh, Candente because of Fortescue's investment, because of Goldman Sachs' re re uh, recognition of Canyariaco. But tell investors who are new to the story, uh, give us the 30,000-foot, maybe three, four main reasons why it's such a great project, why they should be taking a really close look at this. Well, it's a very large resource, and some people might look at it and say historically it, it looks light on grade, um, but it's got many aspects to it that makes it very economic. So a low strip ratio, soft rock, water very, uh, lots of water nearby, easy to get to, cheap power, which will be grid power, right. and, um, and a mining-friendly country with mining laws that are very well established. I'm assuming... You haven't moved. One of the reasons you haven't really been able to move it forward yet is the the price of copper has been relatively cheap, uh, but it's really started to make a move. We'll talk about that in a second. Where what stage are you at with Canyariaco right now? Where where are you guys sitting? Well, let me explain Canyariaco a tiny bit. Um, sure. It's a, within a five kilometer trend, uh, all within the property, we've got actually got three porphyry targets. We believe three porphyry centers. Most of our work has been on Canyaraco Norte. Within Norte alone, we have 10 billion pounds of copper. And we've taken that halfway through feasibility. We stopped feasibility a few years ago because the market just didn't care. But our pre-fees work 
is matching our fees work. So we think the engineering is, is pretty well figured out. I mean, you always need to validate things and confirm and get a higher level of confidence with feasibility. But um, we were actually thinking at this stage that it'd be nice to know what's going on in Sur and Verde as far as more copper, grade of copper, quality, and also um, take a look at options for building uh, higher grade, smaller cap, um, capex uh, startup to, for the project. Because we looked at this mostly when copper was roaring and um, everybody was getting bought out for 400 million. We had a market cap of 250 million. So the attitude was bigger was be bigger is better. And we just didn't do the engineering to look at something smaller. So we'd like to do that. Ah, okay. Cause that, that I, and I do note the last time copper was at 350 a pound, your mark cap was $250 million at the time. And yeah. we're back there again. Explain to everyone that CapEx. So right now to put, if you were to try and put it into production, it would cost you much, what, what number are you looking at? Now the and CapEx right now, and I'm just going to cheat here and, and uh, get all my numbers in front of me, but no, the CapEx is 1.56 billion. Um, and, but with that comes an NPV at 290 copper, 290 I'll mention, um, is also the same, 1.56 billion. So it's nice to have a CapEx that, that matches your NPV at a price of copper that's very reasonable. Um, when we did all our work, we wanted to know the lowest price of copper that this project would be economic, and that was 225, 250 copper. Uh, so you're well, you got a lot, you got 56% cushion there. Yeah, exactly. So what's the plan? What, tell uh, Maybe you can give uh, give investors the, uh, so you're looking to do something a little smaller, higher grade. What does that entail in terms of timeline? Yeah, so first of all, let me talk about, um, there's two, there's various ways to go about this, but Fortescue would prefer the big, would prefer something bigger. They're, they're put it into get, recently put together a technical team with ours and they're doing some, they are to do some engineering work that would look at various things. So get us higher level of confidence in various things we, that we've already studied, how we're gonna be doing the treatment, how we're gonna handle the tailings, all sorts of things. And we, we're hoping with them, we can be looking at this smaller startup as an option. Not that we would go that way, but at least let investors know, gee, for example, for, could we get this built for 700 million initially, get running and then build it up from there. So the first thing we do is work with Fortescue, who has all these engineers um, available to, to help us. And, um, and then the next thing we would be doing from our side would be um, a new PEA or something um, on, on a smaller scale, if we think that looks good. How valuable is it to have Fortescue's engineers working side by side with you uh, to help you figure out your two options? Do you go big? Or do you start smaller and then move into bigger? I mean, that's that's invaluable on its own, right, Joanne? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So timeline, what do you think? How long will it take for uh, you guys in Fortescue to kind of get your options together? Uh, is it will it take three months, six months until you can until they can figure out if you can go smaller and and l less expensive and then have two options on the table? Ballpark. I have no idea. Is it three months, six months, twelve months? Probably what are you six, looking at? Six months to get some serious work done on various studies. Right, which is which is which is a which is great. That'll be that'll be that'll go by in a flash. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully, we'll be getting some news out during that time. How are you? Uh, how are you feeling about the copper price at three fifty? I mean, that ha it hasn't been here since two thousand thirteen, 
and yeah. and it's up 55% or so since April. Yeah. Um, maybe you can talk to maybe you could talk to investors about the driving forces behind why copper is making such a strong move, which you wouldn't expect to happen in a COVID world. You think that real assets don't appreciate only digital, but there there goes copper. Um, well, interestingly enough, what you referred to uh, Goldman Sachs report was actually October 2018. And what they said at that time was wow. deficit, deficit delayed, not denied. So everybody's been predict has been predicting a deficit for quite a while. And what COVID has um, drawn out is that a lot of infrastructures need to be built up uh, with time here. There was under Trump, there was certainly some slowdowns with um, you know, China producing and, and um, their activity, but also the climate change and green energy and everything really needs a lot more copper. So that's a huge factor. But from my, my point of view, um, I, I always say copper is life, gold is money. And life is, everybody wants a refrigerator, everybody wants one car, they need a few computers. Um, and now we all need green energy. So copper is just, the, it's the way of the future. You know, I, I didn't realize that copper had such a role in green energy. Uh, do you mind, you mind kind of touching on that, on that there? Well, yeah, go to Tesla and see how much copper they need in one of their cars. <laughs> it's it's I mean, you're, te you're, you're teaching me something new. I'm not embarrassed to say that. That's great. It's, it's a, a huge factor over, over older cars. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Peru because the project is in Peru. And anytime we speak to somebody, a project that's not in North America, you almost have to ask, Hey, how's the environment there? You, you said something earlier that you said, that's a great, it's a great mining environment. You know, it's really friendly. There has been some political unrest there in the last little while, but then again, who hasn't had political unrest in the last two, three months, generally speaking, what's the, uh, what's the environment like down there for, for junior mining? Well, yeah, let's just talk about Peru historically. And, and my comment was Peru historically is a, is a huge mining country. I went to Peru in 94. And in 94, Peru was known as a, a small vein style mines, mostly silver lead zinc was predominant. Yanacocha was just being discovered. At the time, they thought it had three to four million ounces of gold. And of course, it's over 50. I was part of the QP for Pierina and they ended up selling to, to Barrick within a year of me starting to work for them, actually within 13 months for a billion dollars. And I was just a qualified person. So, but I watched all these things happening in Peru. Antamina was discovered. It's one of the world's largest scarn deposits. So Peru went from being, yes, historically, um, a, a mining being very backbone to it, but to having some of the largest mines in the world and attracting almost every major mining company, international mining company, is now as being in Peru since started coming in the 90s. Yanacocha was explored when the terrorists were reigning, the, the, the country was, you know, basically inoperable. Um, I, I was reading the other day that, you know, they, they just to find the, a pickup truck that could go into the mountains was really, really difficult. So people who stay in countries when the time going gets tough are the ones that reap the rewards. And we know it's mineral rich. And, and as I said, they have a great mining law um, basis. Now, what's happening today is that Congress turfed out 
um, a president that a lot of people liked and, yep, and saw that and their riots on the street. Um, half of the Congress was already accused of fraud at the time, and they decided to accuse this president of fraud and and basically kicked him out and un, using an illegal move. Within a week, between be, so using social media and a lot of young people, um, middle class or low, you know, whatever, they managed to get this second president to resign. And now they, they have a new president who came from the World Bank and all sorts of you know, international credibility, very well educated, he's an educator. So they figured it out pretty quick that their Peruvian citizens are very smart and what they would accept as a president and what they wouldn't. So all clear, all, all looks good. Yeah, they have to have an election. I mean, the Congress is still very strong and, and has their own agendas, but they, and they, they'll be calling their election in April and the new, a new president will be elected in July. Um, and, and what's very comforting to us is that the mining ministry has been left intact. So Minister of Mines has not come, come back. Um, instead, his appointed vice minister of mines has become minister of mines, and they've now appointed. And a lot of these people worked for um, Goldfields and other major mining companies, and and are very familiar. They they weren't bureaucrats as a historic. historic. Yeah, in a country like Peru, they they need to have a strong mining sector, so they're they're going to remain. They're going to make sure it keeps on going. Uh, yeah, but I want to cover that regardless, just in case people had that question. Um, last question for you, Joanne, what's your message to shareholders, especially all the loyal ones who have patiently waited for Canariaco to, you know, to come back in favor and now it's happening. Um, what's your, what's your message to everybody? Remember our 250 million market cap that was moving upwards in 2011, the copper's still there. The economics are still very good. Nothing's changed. We need to renew our permits. We're working on a new community agreement. And our community is changing. It's it's really becoming educated, and the the central government has also been working in the area, creating development. So things are really changing throughout Peru and in our area. And I just um, no reason Caniriaco and Candente shouldn't be getting back to where they were with that 250 million market cap and and move from there. That's great. So safe to say, Joanne, that uh, you're feeling more optimistic now uh, more than you have in a long time given the fact that everything is everything is lining up nicely for the company and the project yeah exactly Cop price of copper um what's going on in the world what's going on in peru has some bumps but yes it's all lining up i agree john liz i gotta tell you congratulations for you know holding on through the tough times because i know a lot of junior uh, junior mining companies go down during tough times. They just, uh, they don't have the financial resources, the wherewithal, and uh, how many times I've seen companies lose great projects. You and your team have done a great job of not only holding on, holding on, but you've got Goldman Sachs to recognize you. You've got Fortescue to increase their investment, their strategic investment up to 19.9%, which is obviously a very important number. That's as high as they can go, right? Be without, without triggering some control issues. So when a company to me, takes their ownership up to 19.9%. It means we're taking all we can get and now they're helping you with the engineers. So, uh, you know, congratulations on uh, getting to this point. And I think shareholders next couple of years are going to really uh, reap the benefits of it. Thank you very much. 
You've been watching or you've been listening by podcast to Joanne Fries. She's present CEO of Candente Copper. Trades on the big board TSX under the stock symbol DNT. Look, you've heard some fantastic information. You got to do your due diligence now. Do that two ways. Uh, get to the Candente hub on Agoracom. Go to the profile page because there's a lot of information to absorb here. But man, like I said, when Goldman Sachs says you're one of the top and Fortescue is, is investing in you, it's a lot easier to absorb that. Then get over to the Candente website at the same time. Uh, go do your due diligence there. Don't say we didn't tell you so because you might have just discovered your next great small cap mining company. Thanks for joining us, everyone, especially to the shareholders of Candente who've been around for a while and we're meeting you also for the first time. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.